Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! Welcome to the very first episode of Dunks and Discourse with Josh Eberly and Jabari Davis. I am stoked to be up and running. Thank you to Blue Wire Network. Please like, rate, and subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify. Let's get this going. We want your feedback every single week. We'll be asking you for content, debate points, rankings. This is going to be a social podcast. I'm Joan, joined as I will be twice a week, every week, by my co-host Jabari Davis. Jabari, how are you doing? Man, I'm great. You know, kind of like you said, I'm, I'm really excited to be back in the mix. It's been actually over a month since our last time doing something of this nature, and I'm really excited about this, you know, this new opportunity. Yeah, and, and first, just to say that, um, as you mentioned that, there's a lot of people reached out, and um, hilariously, like, some people were mad at us. Like, when are you guys going to put out another pod? <laughs> some dude called me lazy. Uh, <laughs> this has been in the works. Uh, this has been the works. Blue Wire reached out, and we, we, we made things happen. But it was a bit of a slower process, and uh, thank you for your patience. I just want a special shout-out to at Tracy underscore Gerald01, who, who sent us like a really nice message saying he'd never listened to uh, a podcast before before he heard us and was wondering when we are going to get so, something out. And uh, like both Jabari and I really appreciated that. So shout to Tracy. Jabari, in this month where basketball has come to a standstill, where it feels like the world in a lot of ways has come to a standstill, uh, what have you been up to? Man, you know, I mean, realistically, it's been pretty quiet for the most part, you know, beyond the obvious quarantine. You know, as you know, I've been recovering from a surgery at the beginning of the month. So I guess you could say I was kind of quarantining since before it was a cool thing to do. Uh, so now <laughs> now I'm just trying to stay away from this Rona. Yeah, fair enough, everyone. And, and I think, like, I'm. Oh, it's almost like election coverage. You know, during an election, you're, you're reading so – or you should be. You should be. Mm-hmm. Here's your uh, PSA of the day. You're reading so much, you're taking so much information, you're trying to make the right decision, you're trying to get all the facts and educate yourself, you, you almost burn out. And that's kind of where I am on COVID-19. I, I mean, as a teacher, at home, adapted to online learning, it's crazy how fast a new routine becomes the normal. Um, but it, I'm almost overloaded. Like, I don't know how much more I can read, see, feel, think about this whole thing. I'm just in the wave with everybody else. Yeah, and, and, and of course, you know, it, I'm, I'm of the same opinion, and, and of course, neither of us mean you know, we don't want to hear about it because, you know, of course, you want to be informed, but you're right. It has taken over everything. It is, you know, constantly, in, you know, not just in the back of my mind, in the forefront of my mind. And, uh, you know, while I, I, of course, we encourage everybody to be safe and continue to, you know, continue to respect the quarantine, you know, rules, uh, you're right. It, it, it's nice to kind of be back behind the mic, you know, with you to specifically you know, get a break from that for at least, you know, 45 minutes or so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is the thing about Dunks and Discourse is uh, when we talked to the powers that be, that be at Blue Wire, we were really clear that we wanted to do something. We obviously want to remain basketball focused. That's where both of our, our bases is, if you will. But we want to talk about politics. We want to walk, talk about television and movies and uh, current events. And we're really excited to have this like wide ranging ability to do that now. And But let's start off. Let's start off at home. You know, today, social media, slow day. Um, we did get the news, you know, some actual basketball news. Not which player may or may not have the disease. Not, you know, uh, Windhorse telling us there's growing pessimism amongst owners. The season's not coming back. But actual news, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, and Kobe Bryant. 
uh, are going to to highlight this Hall of Fame class. And before I let you speak on that, and obviously with your Lakers background, I'm sure you have something to say on Kobe, but um, on Twitter, at Pierre Hoop, Jack Perkins, put out some art. And I just, you know, I just like to appreciate people for what they do. And he's got a photo of Duncan and Garnett. They've each got a drink. They're sitting at the bar stool. And they've got, you know, a glass of vino in the middle. Kobe's Brian. Uh, Kobe's eight jersey hanging over another stool. And I just, fantastic, man. Just a fantastic piece of art. Nice moment to kind of, when I clicked on the trending topic, to see that. So shouts to, to him for, for the quality work. And Jabari, I'll toss it to you. Uh, what was your first thought? Yeah, honestly, I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, that gentleman. I'm glad you actually gave him credit for it because truth be told, that hit me in the gut, man. <laughs> like, look, we all know, we all know, you know, Kobe's, you know, passed away was, it, you know, January 26th or whatnot. You know, we've had time, you know, since then, but admittedly, it still feels surreal. And it's going to, you know, with all of the first, you know, as we've actually personally discussed, you know, whether it was the first All-Star weekend or the first, you know, playoff, you know, or the first this, that, and the other. And, of course, with the, uh, you know, Hall of Fame, you know, names being mentioned, which immediately becomes my favorite of all time. I recognize there were all types of great classes prior to this and the Jordan class and, you know, the Jordan speech, everything and everything, you know, that, that surrounds that will always, you know, be mentioned. I'll, I'll, of course, I'll be disappointed that we don't get the Kobe speech, but... You know, this group, you know, whether you're whether you're 25 or 40, which is kind of fun, What you know, about our connection, you're in the 25-year-old range. I'm 40, you know, going on 41. You, you have a true appreciation for these players in particular. So for me, uh, I, I was excited to see it, even though we knew. I was excited to see the announcement. I was very grateful for that, you know, piece of artwork. And, you know, this is, this is going to be a, you know, a ceremony that hits me in the gut. Yeah, I hear you, and, like, and and it's interesting. Like these were these were kind of my OGs. Like mm-hmm. that '96 class is is who I came up with. Like those were the guys that were really coming into their own when I became a fan of the league. Um, you know, Garnett '95, Duncan '98, but mm-hmm. all of these guys and the guys that retired. I mean, Dirk obviously last year. Vince Carter is still going, but but my era of basketball has come like pretty much to a close. I know you've gone through that prior. Um, There's been a lot of conversation about Kobe Bryant the last few weeks or months, and and for good reason. But when I was looking at the Hall of Fame class, I couldn't help but think about Tim Duncan a little bit Mm -hmm. and just his career. And he's part of his brand is the understated thing. But I I couldn't help but wonder if if Duncan had played for the Knicks, and I did throw this out on social media, Mm -hmm. and he was louder as as an individual. Um, you know, a bunch of people told me like he was a boring guy. He wasn't interested in that side of the game, which is part of why he won't be remembered in the same way. But had had he been a little bit louder, had he played in, on a team like the Knicks or the Lakers, um, and he still won those five titles, and he still won 50 games or more every year of his career for 19 years, and two MVPs, and all of the things that he did, do you think he's regarded... I know he's a near unanimous top 10 player of all time for most people, but do you think he starts to push into that, you know, top five, top four conversation that I don't really see him in that often now? So I had three quick reactions to this when I saw it. Of course, you know, as I mentioned in the pre-show, my first reaction was to get defensive and say, well, hold on, is he is he throwing shade at the players that, you know, that played in the big markets? He said New York, but he probably meant L.A. I recognize I have issues here. I recognize this. This, is, this, is, this has been long established. But so my second reaction was, 
No, it's it's kind of like you know I, I was the human Alonzo Mourning gif. Um, you know, my second reaction was, but you know what, he has a point. If if Duncan were a different you know a different type of guy that branded himself, uh, you know, beyond like just being like everybody's dad, you know, from nineties, uh, it you know and and really was outspoken and you know went you know really went for it you know in in big situations you know whether it was you know cheesing for the camera or you know you know what I mean. If he, if you were one of those guys, we probably would. But my third reaction was, but wait a second, what about Kareem? Because Kareem was definitely not, you know, shown very much love by the by the media. Uh, you know, whether if you weren't a Lakers fan, you probably didn't. You know, you may have respected his game, but you probably didn't have a whole lot of love for him because, you know, he, he wasn't that guy. Even for the times, he wasn't that guy that was going to be very outspoken, um, even though there's a, a tremendous amount of depth to him. And, you know, he's one of the more intelligent individuals that I've ever come across, uh, whether in the sports world or, or, or beyond. So I was kind of torn between those things. Yes, I think Duncan, you know, is you know, some of his exposure, especially early on, was significantly limited by being in, uh, you know, what it, what is a relatively uh, quote unquote small market, even though San Antonio is bigger than people think. Um, you know, being in that market. But at the same time, I look at other guys that we do routinely have in the top five and we do place them there. So, I, like I said, I'm kind of torn. But look, Tim Duncan's one of the all time greats, no matter what. You know, whether you have him in your top 10 or your top five, there's no doubt about it. He's one of those guys. Something I was thinking about, and, and honestly, this, I, for all the times that I'm happy to throw shade off the Lakers, this mm-hmm. wasn't one of those times because I think in the same way that some people, you know, cast Duncan off to 9, 10, 11, 12, they do the similar with Kobe. This isn't a Kobe-Duncan yeah. comparison. This is more like he really did accomplish a ton. And while the Lakers were in the middle of their dynasty, he was still winning. You know, he won as many MVPs as Kobe and checked it together. And, you know, he had a championship to bookend either of the Lakers or either side of the Lakers dynasty. And then he kept on winning for a decade after. And it's just I, I do wonder that if, if he had just changed how he carried himself a bit aside from the market, if he wouldn't be higher up there. And you mentioned Kareem. There's been big changes for Kareem as he's grown, though. Like he's become a very iconic figure. He's got his hand in a bunch of things. He's let people in. A lot more, you know, at post post retirement. But he also came in, you know, the most successful college player ever, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he was the best player on the court day one. So there's that going for him. I, I think it's interesting. I'll throw this at you, um, Patrick Ewing. If if Tim Duncan at the peak of his powers was a nine and a half out of ten, what was Patrick Ewing? If Duncan was a nine and a half, Patrick at his best was an eight and a half, and that's no disrespect. And of course, the the folks in the New York market or just the New York Nick loving your 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 fans out there will be upset by that, but they know deep in their heart that's probably true. Yeah. So if if Ewing won five titles for the Knicks, oh come on, you don't think he's the most? Maybe one of maybe not if not the most um, other than Jordan up there, like. He's one of the most celebrated players of all time if, if Patrick Ewing wins five, wins five rings. Oh, without a doubt. There's no question about that. For one, New York Knicks fans rep for their folks more than, honestly, more than any other fan base. And when I say that, I know the Lakers fan base is probably the largest and truly, truly dedicated. But look at the Knicks, man. They've been a joke for so long. They've been a joke for so long. And these folks still come out there in droves, still represent for them, and still speak of them as though, you know, like, you know, these are, you know, they've had some glory years over the last 25, 30 years, considering they haven't won a 
title since the early 70s. So, yes, the answer is absolutely Tim Duncan would be seen as that guy. A lot of times with these things, you know and I know, the listeners out there know that it's the narrative that impacts, you know, impacts a lot of the you know, a lot of the conversations. We all in previous in pre- at previous times when we've spoken about this, you've been upset about like having to acknowledge that narrative plays a role, but really ultimately when it comes down to it and you've got 20 of the greatest players of all time and it's really difficult to you know dis- you know distinguish between you know their careers the overall narrative about that player is going to play is going to play a role yeah i mean little side venture for us today but i couldn't help but think about it and ewing really made me think about it and uh yeah i mean i, I don't know as i was sitting there looking at the numbers and the accolades again i, I don't know that his career accomplishments and what he w- was on the court is that far away from a Larry Bird or Magic Johnson, but you rarely see him over those two. So, something to think about. Let's move on and let's talk about the uh, the cloud hanging over all our heads, which is you know this growing chance that the NBA is not coming back um, okay. this season. Which, again, I'm just going to be very clear. There's a lot of people who are almost leaning into this. Oh, they got to do it. Don't be naive. You're an idiot if you think it's coming back. Well, no one really knows yet. So let's let's not lean in too hard. But I'll take basketball whenever form. Like people are like, well, I don't want an asterisk season. I would happily take a single elimination tournament. I would take a best of three finals. Whatever you want to do to have playoff basketball in the summer, I, I'm down. I would take that over watching 2K Live or yeah. the horse competition, whatever else they're trying to do, which I appreciate that there's things going on, but uh, that, that doesn't really intrigue me very much. How do you feel on that front? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. All of these folks talking about, you know, you know, saying, you know, speaking as though like, oh, no, there's just no way and no, they don't want an asterisk. Go away. Go sit down somewhere. When there was a 50-game season, what was that, 98, 99? We all still appreciated that. We still all, we all still enjoyed that. The only people that speak of it as an asterisk are when, are when Lakers fans are trying to troll Spurs fans. That's really all, that's really all it is. Uh, you know, best-case scenario obviously would have been for the season to return, even in, in, in a bridged or shortened form. And then a full postseason afterwards, but kind of like you know, kind of to your point, I'll absolutely take that. I don't want, I don't prefer a single elimination you know situation, but just like I don't prefer to be sitting in my apartment by you know right now. So if 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 there's any chance whatsoever that we can get you know NBA basketball again, whether it's in a month or three months or four, however long, you're going to take it. Yeah, and, I, and here's the thing too. I mean, people talk about '99 sometimes. Rarely, I, 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 people aren't like Duncan has four rings and a fifth ring with a star. Like you, you don't exactly. Do that. And in 2012, I mean, they played 66 games. Nobody talks about Bron's ring, mm-hmm. and even like people who hate LeBron, I rarely hear them be like he has two and a half rings. They're like he's three and six or whatever to, to slander him. But I, people don't really care about the lockout season. Like changing the playoff format might have a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But the Heat played 65 games this year. They played 66 when they won in 2012. I have no problem starting the playoffs. Let's do it. And I, I think it's crazy that people want to surrender it. I'll throw it, throw this at you as well. I mean, there was this was reported like over a month ago now that there was – well, maybe maybe I should fact check that because time is pretty relative right now. But um, there, there was talk that the NBA might start the season at Christmas, push into the summer for playoffs, and kind of give the fall as the off time. How would you feel about that? 
I mean, you, you know that we've talked about this before. I'm all in on that. I have no problem whatsoever with going with a you know 65 or even a 70 game season that starts at Christmas. I absolutely love it, quite frankly. Um, and it, it isn't that I don't want as much basketball. I think it would actually help. Yeah, I think it would help the you know the product. I think it would help these guys. You know, they kind of eliminate you know some of the wear and tear on their bodies, uh, and it and it really would feel like a jam packed, like action packed. You know, however many months you know it ends up being so. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that whatsoever. I, I don't know if it ends up you know going that direction unless, you know, kind of like a few months ago, you know, whenever that you know, that announcement came out, unless they were able to kind of supplement that money on the back end so in some way or another. I don't know that it'll happen, but I'd be fine with it. There doesn't even necessarily have to be less games. And I and I don't I don't want less games. We've we've debated that before. Yeah. We haven't talked about like specifically just the timeline selfishly as a teacher i think it'd be amazing <laughs> just just stay up all night in the summer every night never miss a minute of basketball never worry about work in the morning mm-hmm. and just just have the summer nba summer like there's there's times in the summer where you got nothing to watch you're just killing time doing whatever like it would be amazing to have ball in the summer and so, I, I mean again selfishly but then in the fall when things got really busy i'm not missing anything so that would be ideal for me i love it so quick question though what what do you do in years of the summer Olympics? Do you just take a like? Do you have a break? I think others other leagues do this, like hockey or you know, or even soccer. I think you know when there's a big event where it's a whether it's a World Cup or a Summer Olympics, they take a break in the middle of the season. In those instances, are you willing to go ahead and do that and 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 kind of extend things, or do you you know do you just say okay, well NBA guys you know don't participate in the Olympics. Yeah, I think we've been heading that way for a while in multiple sports where, like, the pros just aren't going to be in the Olympics anymore. Mm. I think you look at the lack of, of stars coming out this. I mean, granted, it wasn't the Olympics, but for FIBA last summer, I think you look at the, you know, the risk on the bodies, the obviously COVID-19, you know, the scare that uh, Team US, or the Lakers and Nets had just being in China um, during the Hong Kong scenario. I, I just don't know that the benefits to the teams and the players and like the glory of it is what it was. So I I think we might be moving away from that in general, Mm -hmm. which I I mean, then it's a non-issue. I just quick interjection. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, this, that tournament wasn't the NBA or excuse me, wasn't, you know, the, you know, the actual Olympics. I think that also plays into that and you would see more people coming out, but you're probably right. The overall, like, you know, you're taking pride in it. It's kind of diminished over, or, or at least it appears to have diminished over the last, you know, say four to six years. So, you know, you're right. We could, we could be headed in that direction either way. Well, I've got you all listening. Just remember that Greg Popovich took Derek White. Over Trey Young and De'Aaron Fox. Uh, moving on, transitioning. Okay, if the season doesn't come back, okay, if it doesn't come back, mm-hmm. who are the three biggest losers this season? Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to see if I want to go to the, you know three, two, one, or you know what? I'll just I got three. Giannis, you know, look, he was having such a you know a pretty magical season. You know, like for lack of another way to describe it. Uh, he might have been in a position to silence a lot of the conversations surrounding his Bucks and as well as his personal standing with the team. Uh, you know, the fact that he can technically be a free agent after next season, you know, like I, I hate to even put this out there, but look, the conversation is going to be had. I, I, I hate this for the Bucks. I hate this for him personally. Uh, I hate this for him, you know, because I do think that there was at least a chance that, he, you know, you know if, if as long as narrative didn't, you know, take over down the stretch, there was a chance that we could have had another unanimous, you know, a unanimous MVP. I'm not saying that they won't eventually, you know, make those, you know, make those, you know, determinations later. Uh, but then for the awards, I definitely would feel a little bit like, okay, yeah, that is a bit of an asterisk. 
Um, so I hate I hate this for him. Um, and second one, and this will sound funny because you know no one's gonna you know shed any crocodile tears. Well, actually, actually, pause. Let, let, oh, okay. Let's go. Let me let me comment on oh, the one at a time, so I don't have to unload on them all. But I, I think I think you're right on Giannis, and I think even bigger than Giannis is is if the free agency nightmare, which again I'm with you, I don't want to talk about. It. I hope he stays a buck forever. But mm-hmm. if it plays out that way, then Milwaukee loses because they had a title contending team with a back to back MVP on it. But I, I, I do – I'm not even just trying to play devil's advocate. I think there's a chance or a, um, I don't know what, what the probability is, but like a legitimate chance that Giannis looks at the season if it gets canceled and says, hey, we were going to win the title. We were the best team. And he comes back with like an unfinished business mentality and maybe that's enough to rally the troops and like get him more invested than he even was before because the feeling of being cheated can be one heck of a motivator mm-hmm. and – I, like maybe it's a smaller chance than that he's frustrated and things don't work out in the offseason. The Bucks don't bring their guys back. They don't win next year. You know he doesn't sign the extension. But I, I do think there's a chance where this this could actually increase his investment in the team. So my only rebuttal to that is remember remember what Kawhi looked like down the stretch. You know last year. I'm not talking about from a physical perspective. It was evident that even if they won that title, or at least it, it seemed evident that even if they won that title, he, you know, he had his eyes set somewhere else. I think this, I, you know, I, I agree with you. Giannis will come back furious. Giannis will come back with, hey, we have unfinished business. Giannis will come back and probably ball out, and hopefully, you know, will have continued to round out his game and you know, is, is even better than you know better than he was when he left. But I think that that could also paint, you know, you know, set up a situation where he says, "Okay, I did what I, you know, I did what I could here. You know, we, we you know, we won a title, or we, you know, we, we, or we you know, advanced, you know, far, and you know, we, we had that success. And for for whatever reason, it feels like that type of situation. And we can get into this, you know, down the road in, in future episodes and whatnot. But there are certain little signals that have been placed out there that have, that at least make it appear that that's a conversation." I, I like I disagree on on this. We'll move on to your next guy because I don't spend a million years on it. But here, here's the two here's the two quick things. One, mm-hmm. no one can say what Kawhi was doing or feeling in the moment was evident. After the fact, as we learned more, it appears evident that he was always leaving. But no one knew in the moment, like during the playoff run and after playoffs. You know, guys were staking their careers. He's going to the Lakers. He's staying with the Raptors. He's going to the Clippers. Like it was all over the place. And and I think he's a really unique situation here too. And I haven't been picking up these breadcrumbs that Giannis wants out. Like, if he leaves, I will be genuinely surprised. I have, and we can talk about it, you know, later. Not a worry. Like I said, down the road. Um, but yeah, that's fine. So my second one is it's funny because, like I was saying, like you know, no one's gonna feel sorry for a, a billionaire, especially not a billionaire, you know, billionaire sports franchise owner. But it's Steve Ballmer, and because this sucks for him too. You know, he bet heavy and hard on having at least two shots at bringing a title or at least having two deep runs with a core surrounding Kawhi and Paul George. They were right there in the mix. It, you know, it, it, they, they even made moves this, you know, th- during the season in order to you know, further solidify things. Uh, look, while they still would have the upcoming season, you know, uh, hypothetically, to take another stab at it before you know, be, you know, they become free agents again, this only adds pressure on them. And again, you know, look, I, I, it, it will still probably be fine. And Clippers fans will say like, "Oh, you're just putting this out there." But look, when you factor in the case of they, you know, they kind of mortgaged a big part of their near future with the draft, and having also dealt a potential, you know, a potential, you know, future All Star and you know, Shea Gilders Alexander. To me, it's like, wow, okay. 
you know, that sucks for him. Again, he's going to be fine. You know, he's not going to, he probably won't lose any sleep over it. But that does, that has to suck because they, they, it, they were going all in this year. And it, you know, they may not have an opportunity to you know, kind of see it to fruition. Yeah, I had Clippers fans on my list too, okay. um, which is kind of the same but different. And, and it is, I mean, Things could go very like for for the victory lap that they took in the off season and for the business dealings that they've been doing and the forum and everything that's going right for them. If they don't win, Kawhi leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it could it could be ugly. And you we'll know, go back. They clippered it. Will be. be a thing. Yeah, it'll be. You you, yeah. you you know exactly what that will be. Twitter will break. But the thing too with running it back is again, like the contract situation is messy. Like they were in a nice position with their role players on, on reasonable deals, but you know Harold's going to get money this off season, mm-hmm. and Marcus Morris isn't going to come back mm-hmm. on a minimum. So I mean, tough decisions will have to be made. Uh, you're number three. Number three is LeBron James. Look, his first year with the Lakers was wiped away by a growing tear. No one could see it coming. But you know, to have the second year, which was shaping up to be potentially a great ending. You know, it, it you know, potentially taken away. That's rough, man. You know, add to the mix that technically AD can be a free agent. You know, after the after the season. Although I don't see any reason why he would leave at this stage. But the you know that fact only makes the situation that much worse. So Lakers fans, as well as LeBron James in particular, this really sucks. Yeah, it does. I mean, it it, it sucks. As a, as a huge LeBron fan, um, I really wanted to see this playoff run from him. Mm-hmm. It, it it did kind of feel swan swung ish. And uh, I, I hope we get it still. I'll be really sad. But the one I'm going to throw in that you didn't add, okay. uh, Houston. Ooh. Uh, this Houston team has been up, down, and all around the last few years. I've been up, down, all around on James Harden, on, on Mike D'Antoni, on Daryl Morey, on Russell Westbrook. And, I mean, it's easy to see why if you watch these guys play on a regular basis because they're so talented, but they're so out there. The result in the playoffs is so inconsistent. Um I really think this this commitment to, you know, the vision of both D'Antoni and Maury and playing small and we're going to outscore you and we're not worried about the middle and this is the way the game is today and it doesn't matter if we miss 33s in game two. We're just going to keep shooting them because we know we have the personnel to win in this style of play. Like, I wanted to see it. Like, I genuinely wanted to see this Rockets vision play out and I'm not saying that I thought they were going to win the title or that they had a great chance, but they... They had a chance, and it would have been a very big statement year, legacy-changing type run for both James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and even Mike D'Antoni, all three of them, really, Mm -hmm. if this thing broke right for them, and not getting to see, you know, this experiment play out would really suck, too. Look, um, what's the owner's name? Tillman Fertitta? Yeah. Okay, yeah, he literally, and this is, you know, this is uh, appropriate, given that he, you know, owns owns casinos and hotels, he literally pushed everything to the center of the table. Daryl Morey pushed everything into the center of the table. This roster, Mike D'Antoni, they all they were all all in. So as crazy as it sounds, we may not ever get to see you know what could have been because they you know they could very easily make some decisions in the offseason that would kind of take away at least several of those individuals. So yeah, no, it, it sucks. Well so, and that's I mean that's the thing too, is is Tillman Fertito all in. Because is is he willing to to pay the bill again? Because it, it, at least with the Rockets, Harden, Westbrook, Gordon, Covington, Tucker, um, House are all back next year. Mm-hmm. Like they're all signed for another year. So whether he's willing to foot that bill is is kind of the decider. But I agree with you. Like they could they could make changes, and I think they might have win or lose um, after having seen this. You know, in the playoffs, but. 
not getting to see it, I will always wonder, oh, like, it might be the biggest what if of the season. Like, the Rockets were fully committed, especially if another team goes five small all the time, not as a gimmick, not as a as a death lineup, just as a general statement, and, and it is successful. You'll wonder where they first and did they miss the boat. So well, we'll see. If, if you think about it, the Clippers kind of do that. I know Trez is, you know, 6'8 or so, but they do that. Like, as funny as it sounds, I just think the Clippers, you know, personnel is better, but the Clippers are, are are the super version of what these Rockets have been trying to transition to. Uh, it's different though. They, they they don't they don't run the same same offense. And as much as you say like Trez is smaller, he still doesn't play. He he he's not he's an interior guy. He is he is. It's not it's not PG PJ Tucker's you know at center. I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, just like a Lakers fan to look over Zubats, but all right. All right. Uh, no, no, no. That would, that would be just like a Lakers exec. Yeah. <laughs> Us fans don't. <laughs> um, let, let's let's change gears. And okay. we're moving away from the dunks and more to the discourse. And we're going to talk about Ozark Season 3. Okay. So next week, or not next week, Episode 2, we're going to be talking Tiger King. We're going to be mm-hmm. talking Disney's Pixar's Onward. Uh, we're going to be talking... Uh, the five games, if you were stuck on an island, the five NBA games, if you could only watch five games the rest of your life on loop, what would they be? Mm-hmm. But this week we're talking Ozark. So for those of you who don't watch Ozark, first of all, catch up because it's a season three. And here's your warning. We're, we are not going to, Jabari and I talked about this. We are not going to be the spoiler friendly podcast. Like we're, we're going to talk spoilers because, you know, we're, we're consuming a ton of media, a ton of content. I want to talk about it in the moment. Um, and if you haven't watched it yet, there's there's your warning. So Ozark season three, season two, they want to build the casino. They built the casino. Things have sort of stabilized, and Wendy and Marty Bird are kind of at an impasse. Like Marty wants to stay safe, keep doing what they're doing, put his head down, kind of let things come to a stable-ish place. Wendy's like, no, we can. There's a chance here. Let's expand. Let's add some legitimate business. Let's get some FaceTime with the the head of the cartel. Let's take some risks, and that kind of sets the tone for the show. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on season three? I loved it. I think it's the best season you know thus far. Uh, it, it had some ups and downs, like it as it any season will have. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's the greatest show of all time or you know just your run of the mill show. Uh, but I absolutely loved it. You know, I'm all I'm all about the bird family drama. So being able to, you know, as you mentioned, you know, see Marty and, and, and Wendy kind of go head to head, and you know, kind of you know, working towards separate outcomes. Uh, you know, I, I appreciated seeing how that went down. As you mentioned, spoilers are coming. Uh, I loved how it ended up, you know, with Helen. Uh, because you know, quite frankly, when they got on that that airplane, I thought, okay, it's one, either they're ending the show, or Helen's gonna stop smiling pretty soon. So I loved how that all wrapped up. I liked how they, you know, I, I appreciated how they added added in new uh, new figures and you know, kind of like made the you know, was it Frank Sabaka? Not Frank Sabaka, the the, the head of the Detroit uh, crime family. It's uh, Kansas City. Kansas Frank City. Cosgrove. Frank yeah. Cosgrove. So I like how they, you know, they added to his character. Of course, I appreciate Tommy, you know, you know Tommy from Power, you know, being in the mix. <laughs> we'll see if he's in the mix, you know, moving forward. But yeah, no, I, I really thought it was, a, I thought it was a, a well-rounded season, and and definitely as they tend to hit on, you know, hit on a on a high note to end. What about you? I, I'd imagine at least part of him is uh, pieces <laughs> of him. Pieces uh, of him. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Like I, I, I think the mark of a really great season of TV is one 
you're not left feeling unfulfilled at the end of it. Yes. And two, you're eagerly anticipating the next season. And and Ozark season three really did that for me. And like when I when I'm you know at the, playing poker with with my buds here or going out for beers or whatever, I'm often like, oh, don't ask Josh. Like he's he's the toughest critic in the world. He doesn't like any, <laughs> anything. So like I I feel like I'm pretty tough to please. I really love this show. I watched it in a day, all ten episodes in a day, which mm-hmm. is easier to do in the COVID nineteen yeah. pandemic era. Much easier. <laughs> but at the same time, like it was really consuming. And uh, we're going to talk about the characters in a sec, but I thought Ben Ben coming in, Wendy's brother, was a terrific addition. Um, I, I almost felt like I knew where it was heading. I'm not entirely sure I, I understood Helen's motivation to really make it her or them at the end, but uh, she obviously lost that gamble. But I'm excited. Like, what's going to happen with the mob, Darlene, Snell, who's got to be... If we did a poll, we should do this on one of the episodes, like the five least likable <laughs> characters on any show ever. Like Darlene Snell is in that mix. Yes. Um, she, she's kind of biding her time this season, but you can tell that she's going to be a pain and a player again next season as she's revamped her poppy business and made some new allies. And she She's the hillbilly Cersei, dog. Like she is the, she is the redneck Cersei, 100%. But- <laughs> But like I, I honestly felt like Cersei's motivations were were clearer at times. Like she was still like she was awful, but she was all about her kids. Or she was awful, but like she was having this incestuous relationship, and her dad was a psychopath. And but like we don't really have as much backstory on Darlene. So when she goes and does terrible things, you're just like, man, she is like the least redeemable character you can think of. Although now she's kind of shacked up with a character you do feel for a little bit and why it. So we'll see. But I, I think the season did a great job of, as it was like unraveling this season, constantly building for next season too. Yeah, no, it, it like, like, look, you've got something in the notes here that I was like, what the heck? Wait, actually, you know, it, it's a good conversation. Wait on Look, that. Wait on that. I know. I, that's why. That's why I referenced it as you have something in the notes. Um, I, I'm right there with you in terms of the potential impact of this show. We're only three seasons in, so I'll, I'll generally say it's not fair to kind of judge it, you know, in totality yet. Obviously, uh, but yeah, I'm right there with you. Ozark is phenomenal. It's it, it's one of those shows that I'm I'm grateful that I I said okay, well, let's see what this is all about. What what are, if anything were did you not like about this season? Like what were were there any things? Any any of the writing, acting, et cetera, that didn't vibe with you? Well, I don't want to give away uh, part of what you know is going to come up in my top five. Uh, so there was there was some, there were several parts of the writing that you know that I didn't one hundred percent you know vibe with. But this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I don't think the ki- their kids are are worthwhile characters. I, I just don't. I like, I'm not compelled by Jonah. I'm not compelled by Sarah. It's just it just doesn't do anything for me. Um, it's fine if they're there. But like I, I'm not sitting there feeling sorry for them, and I recognize <laughs> that's why they're there. You're supposed to feel for them. They've been caught up in this mix. No, thank you. No thanks. Well, it, it, I don't really think it's. I don't not feel sorry for them. I felt more sorry for them in the first season mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But they're just they're not as imperative to the story. And even like the arc with the daughter, which was really the only part of this that they were in for. Um, wasn't overly appealing compared to the rest of the story, but you get why I guess it, it was the 
the grinder, the this the tear in the seams that led to the divorce between them and Helen, so I get it. But um, I think season one of Ozark, I wasn't as hooked. I liked yeah. season two and three better, mm-hmm. and I, I continued to get more into it because season one, I truly did. We, we live in a time where, like, the anti-hero is so popular, mm-hmm. and that's fine. I'm not I'm never usually, like, a huge fan of that type of character, which is who everyone wants to be their protagonist. Mm-hmm. But in, in the season one of Ozark, I literally didn't care about anyone. Yeah. I was like, Wendy's awful. Marty's <laughs> awful. Their, their kids are brats. Um, everything sucks except for Ruth, who just had a tough life, and you're rooting for her a mm-hmm. little bit. But I was like, if everybody dies, I probably wouldn't be choked. But it, it, it works. As you get more attached and their story spirals even more, mm-hmm. it's like I'm just kind of rooting for like the most chaotic events possible before eventually they'll kick the bucket because I, I'm not really invested in any of them still, but it kind of works for me in that way. It's because they all still suck. You just know more about them, and you've seen, you've seen some of the you know some of the turmoil as opposed to just presuming you know what took place. So yeah, like you know, I, there's more depth to the characters, but they all still kind of suck. It, it it was beautiful, like because when you, when you find out that Marty is bribing the the psychiatrist <laughs> to like take his side in marital disputes, I was like, man, that is one that was great writing, and two, like what a scumbag. Yes. And then two episodes later, she tries to do the exact same thing. And you're like, they're so perfectly terrible for yes. each other, so well played. Um, let's do it. Let's let's rank the. Uh, instead of five, let's do the top three performances of the of the Ozark season. Okay, three. all right. Uh, let me do, uh, give a quick shout out to my guy Kevin L. Johnson. He plays uh, Sam Dermody on the show. Uh, not just because he follows me on Twitter and interacts with me, because he's you know pretty you know pretty good guy. He's not in, his character's not in my top is not in my top three, but you know he knows what, no disrespect. What a, what a flex! What? Hey, no no disrespect <laughs> to him, no disrespect. All right, so I I do also need to say um, you may be shocked, but Ruth was not in my top three. Um, you know this time, uh, quite frankly, I I, I really thought you know, I thought about it a lot, and I and I appreciated her in season you know one and two. Uh, but it was kind of too much of the same note. Uh, what the f? And t- you know that tone and the tantrum-like you know moments. I I'm kind of over it, and I hope because Julia Garner does such a great job with the character. I hope the writers give her some more depth, you know, moving forward, and we get more than just the one note. I think right. she will too. I think I think it did transition into like she's going to be on a different team next season, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, for, you know, for sure. And, and, and you know what? Uh, because you dropped it from top five, I, I have to mention, um, you know, RIP, you know, to Helen for sure. Was it, uh, is it Jane McTeer? Yeah, Jane McTeer. Um, you know, she was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal in that role. But my top three are as this. Yeah, it sorry, is. Sorry, Janet McTeer. Janet, Janet McTeer, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, she was incredible. Uh, so I look forward to seeing her in, in, in future projects. So it's Darlene is number three, man. She's absolutely nuts. Lisa Emery, that's do, you know that that's that's uh, portraying the character, has done a phenomenal you know phenomenal job. Uh, she's always done well, but you know as they continue to kind of round out the character and you know, and the show, you know they they show more and more of just how manipulative and smart she can be in terms of setting herself up. Uh, so I, I I loved how she you know as you mentioned earlier she made new alliances. She was smart about you know bringing Wyatt in when he was you know when he was wounded. She was smart about bringing Ruth in when she was wounded. And you know I I feel like she's going to be a major. Well she's always been a major player, but she's going to be a problem moving forward. Now she's got to go. 
but she's and that's a problem. That's the thing too is like she's constantly underestimated, and maybe it is like season one, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe it's because she's thought of this this hick hillbilly, and and they constant, but they gave this terrible, insanely evil, spiteful, vengeful, antichrist, <laughs> nothing but time and energy with nothing but time and energy to plan and plot and scheme. They just let her be, mm-hmm. and she's going to be a force next season for without sure, a, without yeah, a doubt, for sure, master manipulator. Yep. Uh, second is is Wendy. Um, we've seen Wendy go from like uh, playing the role of a frustrated uh, frustrated housewife, uh, and 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 somewhat of a lonely soul in that first season. Even though uh, if you've watched the show, you know that you know she was out doing her business on the side. Uh, but we've seen her transition slowly and systematically, you know, easing her way into the backbone of the family. And and if you really stop and look at it, the actual lead of the show. So you know whether you know you know whether the this monster was always inside her or it's kind of just been festering and forming over the you know the first three seasons. It's definitely there now, and Wendy will likely continue to grow colder and even more calculated and even more shrewd as they move forward. So I loved it. Any thoughts Fair. on Wendy? Yeah, no, sorry. Fair enough. My bad. I zoned out there for a sec. <laughs> You're good. Laura, Laura Linney's character, Wendy Bird. Like she she is nailing it, but I find myself really struggling to pull for her. Mm-hmm. Um, not that Marty deserves any better and is equally a scumbag, but I just like maybe it's my uh, own personality, like risk adverse personality. But like constantly, I found myself agreeing with Marty throughout the season. <laughs> and as they got into trouble after trouble, and I know Marty was actively working against her, I'm like. This was your fault. Like you did this. Yeah. Like, and, and as Marty is in that cell um, mm-hmm. in Mexico, and he's really mauling things over. I wish they had just. You do feel like they're eventually gonna like. It's gonna be one. It's gonna do in the other. Like that. Mm-hmm. The the way that television works, the stakes got to continue to increase. And with the way that Wendy does her brother, um, it's got to be Wendy does Marty, or Marty does Wendy eventually down the line. That, that that's where my prediction is i guess but I, I wish they did more with that cell where you know marty you know puts some dirt on his wife's name to navarro or when he's going crazy he's talking to himself just to kind of like hint at that more because there's no way as he was melting under the lizard lamp that he wasn't you know thinking of who put him there and uh and why that might have happened so i i i thought that was kind of a one of the the few things i critique maybe a missed opportunity you know what? You're probably right, but you'll also probably get that leading into you know it, as we go into next season because as you just alluded to, they did give you that with Wendy. The fact that she, you know, it was obvious she, you know, she pulled the she essentially pulled the trigger on her brother. That lets you see a, a bit of calculation and coldness that even I wouldn't have anticipated from the character. And you know what's also funny about this, Josh? The reason why we work so well together is because you're a Marty and I'm a Wendy. There we are. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So my third one, and, and and I know that we agree on this, but we have different thoughts on the actual character. It's Ben. Okay. Yeah. I was so grateful. Which is, I think it's Tom Pelfrey. I was so grateful when they added him, uh, specifically because I've seen him in a couple things before, and I was like, okay, that's at least intriguing. But from that opening scene with him, for one, I thought, like, wait, is this a mistake? Did I turn on the wrong show? Who the hell is this guy? What's going? What's going on? It, it was such an incredible and such an impactful scene. I loved it. So I'm going to incorporate the sandwich technique with this breakdown. <laughs> um, ben was by far the you know, most compelling character of the season, um, and one again that I, I I I wasn't shocked to you know see be taken out by the end. Uh, but his energy, and, and I think you'll agree with this, he was, he was more of a of a comet than a star. Uh, you couldn't have that much intensity and that much, you know, like on the screen, you know, for an extended period of time. Um, 
But the one thing I will say is uh, when that person kind of went at you uh, about his character, I understood it. Um, and you know what? I, I've never discussed this with you. So hey, in our very first episode, we'll have this conversation. I understand why you know somebody that uh, lives with bipolar disorder would kind of you know speak negatively about the portrayal. Because as someone that has lived with bipolar disorder my entire life, I, I while I recognize there are ups and downs, and there are certainly moments of rage like that, the writers took some liberties, and they definitely used what is the generic or popular opinion of what bipolar disorder is as plot armor. So it, it, it was kind of like, hey, we need to move this story on. We need to move this story forward. All right, bring in the crazy guy. You'll have him do something. Okay, we need we need we need to, you know, get this character upset. All right, bring the crazy guy in, have him just go off. Again, that type of stuff does take place, but it, it's not like that in the sense of just constant spinning and spiraling. And again, I I felt like you know, as I watched it, I was like, eh, but it was so well done. And and again, I anticipate that when it comes to, you know, entertainment, it, it did. It didn't turn me off to the character like it did for others. Yeah. And then and like, I, I mean, props to you for, for sharing your own experiences there. So, I, I mean, I would not tell anyone that they're wrong for feeling how they feel, especially if you live with bipolar disorder and you, you felt like, I don't know, just dishonored or by by the portrayal. But I, I think this is something we'll discuss a lot when we talk about TV and movies. Mm-hmm. Stop looking for television mm-hmm. and film to make political statements. You know, stop stop yeah. making looking for television. Stop asking the Avengers to to change, you know, the day-to-day of your of your real life. You you go out and you you make those changes. You vote for people who can make those changes. Like stop holding the screen <laughs> to to a standard that you don't hold your own personal leaders to like that that's something that always bothers me and and here's the thing with, with tom pelfrey's character and the bipolar thing i think it wasn't just that he was bipolar it was that like his inherent need to help to fix things to belong like he finally he feels like he's got a sister back that he remembers as a kid and he's been a fuck up his whole life and it, it, it's kind of vibing he's got this girl here and he, he wants to help, but he knows this is wrong. And I, I, it's not just that he was having, like, these manic episodes. It was that he was just so overwhelmed, as I think most people would be if you find out that, you know, your sister is actually, you know, the number three for a drug cartel and every every all those twists and turns. That takes a huge, huge toll on someone's psyche mm-hmm. just from the stress. No mental health even required. So I, I thought his care I agree we agree on him being the MVP of this. I thought his performance was amazing. And specifically I just want to take a second that first scene <laughs> in the classroom. My biggest that and I saved it for him because my my the number one thing I am upset about with this season is that I don't get to know what was on that cell phone. Mm. Because that scene was like gripping. Like we hadn't met him yet. Who is this guy? What's on the phone? What's happening? Why did he have to go throw them all in the in the wood chipper? Like, <laughs> I was I was hooked. Like, there's a, there's very few scenes that you know as you're watching, you got your phone going at the same time, whatever's going on in real life. I was just totally immersed. The scene totally grabbed me. One of the best starts to any episode of any television ever. That's episode two if you haven't watched it yet. Fantastic, and and you never get to find out, and it really bothered me because <laughs> I wanted to know so badly, but yeah. I but. And I'll just say the one thing to the scene, I think it's episode nine when he's taking the cab back from from the the mental hospital Mm -hmm. and he's just kind of going through it. And he's like, 
unload on the, I just thought it was fantastic. I thought he did an amazing job this season. So, like, so, you know, and again, just to follow up, uh, I agree. Well, to, to address your initial point, I agree with you. We, we can't look for entertainment to, you know, to, to mean something more in our lives. I agree with that. Um, but, you know, I, I will also state, you know, at times we have to remember that these are characters, which oftentimes are caricatures of, you know, whatever they're, you know, whatever, you know, message they're trying to get across. So anyhow, yeah, all I have to say, Tom, you know, you know, Tom Pelfrey was amazing in that. I will be looking forward to seeing him and more stuff looking, you know, moving forward. Um, and I wanted to definitely see what was on that, you know, what was on that, or at least have them reference. Like, what did you see? It was kind of like a what's in the box of, you know, of, of a quick TV show. What what was in the box? Well, and, and that's the thing too, because I was like, did the did someone else in the class mm-hmm. do something terrible to this girl? And he's like, because you're also it wasn't just what happened on that phone. You were trying to figure out who this guy is. Yeah. So you're yeah. like, is he a hero? Like, did someone do something terrible to this girl? And he hates how the her peers treated her. So he's making a statement. Or is it about like, is he mad at society? Or is he actually just crazy? Or is he a dick? Or mm-hmm. but like, you wanted the insight as to who he was as much as what was on that phone. And him not like, I will always be like, man, I wish I knew. I hope that somebody nails down whoever wrote that episode and gets a clear answer on that. No, without a doubt. Last I'll say on it just really quickly is you're 100. And I, I'm glad you referenced the, the the scene from I think it was episode nine where he's in a cab because that was where it hit me. I was like, God dang it, they they fucking they fucking nailed being you know they nailed being fixated. They nailed the the circular talking. They nailed all of that because the you know anybody that's familiar with it with a man, you know being in a manic state will you know will understand and, and acknowledge that's very much what it can be like. Yeah. I thought that was an incredible scene. I I mean, it really did. Um, The last thing, Ozark and Breaking Bad. They get compared. I see this an awful lot. And initially, I didn't really get it other than the fact that you have, like, this Mm anti-hero as your protagonist and the obvious drug connection. But I'm just going to throw it out. And I'll I'll just start with mine because I know it's going to be hot. I like Ozark a lot more than I enjoyed Breaking Bad. I think... In general, this is a really, really hot take. I think Breaking Bad is significantly overrated. I think mm. that the while the final season was excellent and the, the character development for Walt was excellent, I felt like there was a lot of dry episodes on the way up. And I don't, I don't remember when I was watching it, it being so critically acclaimed until later on. And then it's almost like Jordan, where now it's untouchable and everyone only remembers the highs and there's no lows and mm-hmm. so for me I, I have enjoyed Ozark more through three seasons I actually enjoy Better Call Saul more than I enjoy Breaking Bad but but for you um, assuming that you like Breaking Bad a little bit more do you see why the comparison might exist and how do you feel? I see why the comparison exists and actually you know just to quickly address that deal you know, that last point you made I like I think Better Call Saul is a better show than Breaking Bad as well and I don't think that's a hot take I think people like you said they just hit on the highlights and don't recognize like yeah no the show was cool but it wasn't like incredible from season one all the way through but when it comes to these two shows in particular I think they're different enough uh, which is good to me it's, you know it's very it's a very good thing to me I, I think what sets you know what sets it apart is the fact that you know for in Ozark the family's been involved you know they they've been pretty much fully aware and somewhat involved from an early stage 
Uh, I also like the fact that they're kind of showing the same type of divide with the marriage, but not because Wendy wants Marty to stop. <laughs> you know, rather it's because, you know, she's ready to dig in and build the same type of empire that Walter, you know, spoke of in Breaking Bad. And Marty doesn't want to do that. You know, so I say, you know, so I'm hesitant to say like, oh, Ozark is definitively a better show because I don't think it's fair. Like, and as I kind of alluded to earlier, to 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 judge it next to a show that is already complete. We know what Breaking Bad ends. We know how we, you know, we, we know, you know, how, how the run finishes. And we know that it had a great and phenomenal, uh, you know, I, I, in my opinion, fourth and fifth season. Uh, I think it's unfair to compare Ozark to it. And I'm not saying it is unfair of you to you know, bring the question up. But, but I think it's unfair to pr- compare Ozark to it because I, hopefully this is just the middle of their run. I, th- I think, okay, so th- this is the thing. I That's fair. And and the fifth season of Breaking Bad is fantastic television to me. Mm-hmm. And and whether Ozark wraps up that nicely yet yet to be seen. But I I can say like quite plainly like the first three seasons of Ozark gave me more intrigue and enjoyment than the first three seasons of Breaking Bad with, without a doubt. I got you. But but I like that you touched on the marriage. Obviously that is something that is easily comparable. But I think about Anna Gunn, and there's been mm-hmm. a million think pieces about like misogyny and like mm-hmm. why did people hate Skylar White and in this, in Ozark, it's a partnership where, yeah, Marty's kind of trying to keep things safer now, but he also made, you know, these deals, this deals, and this business happen without consent of his wife initially, and they're both kind of equally scummy. Whereas, like, people wanted to hate Skyler because she was highly reactionary and angry at Walt for turning their lives upside down, yeah. and I could never, I never understood, like, why do you hate her for having like the most obvious reaction to finding out that your like dying husband is actually a super criminal putting your family's life at risk every day like it never really added up where i think ozark it does it it fits nicer and there's no good guy bad guy they're just both flawed doing this together you know I, I you, you you make an excellent point and I agree with you and you know like I said I'm open to the idea that Ozark will be def- you know definitively a better show I just want to give it time that you know to get there but to your point about uh, you know Anna Gunn I don't know what it is I don't know what it was about that character uh, but you're right everybody almost unanimously hated her not maybe not you uh, you know that would you know, your your opinion was a hot take at the time and it probably still is especially since I've put out there you know what are some of the you know who are some of the least likable you know characters and her name always will come up uh but you know but yeah one, always always yeah, yeah but the, yeah the last i'll say on that is uh both of them are phenomenal shows i know you not you might not necessarily still love you know or have the same you know affection for breaking bad as others uh but it, you know I, I would encourage you to go back and watch but yeah ozark is going to go down as probably for me the best netflix show so far yeah, I have to. I have to look at their whole whole catalog, but we should do that in an episode as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I think that that's going to just about do it for us on episode one. So, please like, rate, subscribe, Apple, Spotify. Check out all the other great pods on Blue Wire Network. Next week, next episode. I keep saying next week, like we've got a <laughs> weekly special. Maybe coming coming soon. Next episode, Tiger King, Pixar's Onward. Which Pixar film hurt you the most? Which 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 one got the most waterworks going for you? We'll put out a Google form. Take a look, and we are going to talk about the five NBA games on loop uh, that you would want to watch if you're on a desert island, as well as any other news notes we get about the league. Take care. Thanks for listening.